and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Good evening indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, do I have a show lined up for you. An episode filled with ghosts, UFOs, monsters, and possibly even a fairy house. So to kick us off this evening, we begin with Aurora in the state of New Mexico. Hi, my name is Aurora. I thought I would call about a more lighthearted story because I listened to the outdoor stories and all the outdoor stories reminded me of an outdoor story that I have that wasn't really spooky, just weird. So I was camping with my dad and his wife and her parents, my little brother and one of his friends. And in the morning, my little brother and his friend, who were like maybe 12 at the time, went for a little walk near the developed campground or, you know, semi-developed, like primitive developed camping. But they went for a little walk and uh, had been gone for a minute. So my dad got worried and uh, wherever they had gone, they'd gone out of earshot. So me and my dad started walking up the hill to go look for them. And while we were climbing up the hill, we noticed a little bit off to our left, like, I don't know, I'm going to guess like maybe 300 feet away from us, kind of behind a bit of the hill, there was a house. And that was kind of weird because it didn't like seem like there should be a house there. There were no like obvious trails or anything, but we didn't have any reason to think that there wasn't a house there yet. And I wanted to go check it out. My dad, you know, was like, we need to go find the kids first. So we kept hiking up the hill past the house and uh, we could only really see its roof. And as we got higher, it like fell out of sight. And we got my little brother and his friend who had just climbed really high up into the trees. And we came back down. And on the way back down, I kept looking to see the roof of the house again was like an orange roof and almost like just about as orange as orange comes in nature. It wasn't like an unnatural orange. But anyway, we kept hiking back down and didn't see it. So me and my dad decided to go back up and look for it again. And we took the same route that we went up and there was no roof. So we started zigzagging back and forth across the hill. Uh, There was no trail right there and never came across anything at all. There was nothing up there. And there weren't any like clearings in the trees that would have been big enough for like a truck or something. It was pretty weird. So I've always like called it my fairy house experience. It was pretty big. It would have been at least as, because at first we thought it was like maybe some old outhouse, like as big as like one of the big ones that has two bathrooms that you sometimes see in developed campgrounds, but there was nothing there. So anyway, that's the thing that happened. Some sort of mysterious disappearing house in New Mexico near the Placidas campground in the Hemis Mountains, I think. All right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Aurora. You know, it might come as a surprise to some, but phantom buildings are experienced from time to time. Well, allegedly. There is one such home in the countryside of England that has appeared more than once. The following excerpt was taken from a Mysterious Universe article entitled Mysterious Disappearing Phantom Houses by Brent Swanser. 
In the late 1800s, there was also a tale of a phantom house that seemed to randomly warp about the region of Suffolk, England. On one summer evening in 1860, one farmer named Robert Palfrey was baling hay when he suddenly was overcome by a biting chill, despite the otherwise warm weather. When he looked up, he claims to have seen a majestic and pristine red brick house, surrounded by green gardens looming nearby, which he had never seen before in all of his years in the area. The house then vanished into thin air, just as suddenly as it had appeared, right before his eyes, melting away into nothingness. This particular house would be seen off and on again in later years. In 1912, Palfrey's own great-grandson, James Colbert, was in the very same area when the air became frigid and he claimed to hear a loud whooshing sound, as if a great amount of air had been abruptly displaced. When Cabold and his companion looked up, they noticed an opulent, three-story, double-fronted, red-brick, Georgian-style house, surrounded by lush, looming gardens, even though just moments before there had been nothing there but open expanses of open farmland. After a few moments, the house was encased with some sort of fog or mist before blinking back out of existence. And believe it or not, I've actually had my own run-in with something similar to this. Back in the early 2000s, I did my fair share of urban exploring. But instead of decrepit subway systems and factories, I explored abandoned homes and churches in the countryside of southeast Ohio. There was one church that I found that was particularly interesting. Me and a few of my buddies ventured out there at 2 a.m. The church sat on a hill overlooking a seldom-used dirt road with a strip of grass growing down the center. It was somewhere outside Quaker City, Ohio, for anyone that's trying to picture the area. Well, we made our way up the hill, shimmied through a hole in the building's foundation, and did some exploring, careful not to disturb anything. The place was probably close to 200 years old, and equal parts of spooky and fascinating. But after an hour or so of taking photographs and video, we finally left. Aside from the creepiness, the excursion was relatively uneventful. Then a few weeks later, I tried to take my brother back to see the church. And despite hours upon hours of looking, I could not find it. Now the building can be seen from the road, and I know I was on the correct back road. Yet despite spotlighting out the window, neither the church nor the driveway, or even the hill that it sat on, could be located. To this day, I still can't seem to find the church on Google Maps. It's almost as if the place simply disappeared. But here's the kicker. There is video evidence of this place somewhere. But until I dig up that 20-year-old tape, you'll just have to take my word for it. So thank you again, Aurora, for submitting that fun story. Now our next entry takes us to nearby Texas. Bella, the mic is yours. Hi, my name is Bella, and I'm from Texas. I'm a new listener, and I've been binging these podcasts ever since. I wanted to tell a story that happened to me when I was in middle school, somewhere between late 2009 and early 2010. I actually called my dad out of the blue this morning while listening to the podcast just to make sure he remembered it the same way that I did. It was late in the evening, and my dad and I were headed home from dinner as the sun was starting to set. We were in a small town in North Dallas, Texas, where we resided, called Prosper. 
We were about to pull into our apartment complex when we saw some strange things going on in the sky. We pulled off to the side of Highway 380 and parked along with at least a dozen other people looking up to see what was happening. As I remember, there was an array of reddish lights aimlessly streaking across the sky in seemingly random patterns. This went on for roughly five minutes undisturbed until they all just completely vanished. Coming from a family of engineers, specifically aerospace engineers, neither me nor my dad had ever seen anything like it. There was no resemblance to flares or any sort of modern aircraft whatsoever. There's also no way that any publicly known aircraft would have the ability to move so quickly and erratically the way these did, especially while remaining completely silent. We spent the next week or so Googling everything that came to mind and nothing came up. No news articles, nothing. I even did a search today and came up empty-handed yet again. So if anybody listening saw something similar or has any experience to clarify this for me, please let me know. That's been on my mind for years now. Thank you and keep up the good work. Thank you, Bella. I too did some investigating, but came up short. Now Texas is actually full of these types of encounters. So hopefully someone listening has some insight on this. Maybe with a little luck we can shed some light on Bella's mystery. Or at the very least, find a way to let her know that she's not alone. Thank you again, Bella, for your submission. And speaking of insight, over the years I've received many calls from listeners that I simply call rebuttals. Now, not all of them are true rebuttals. Some are suggestions, just tidbits of information. But I'll include extra info submitted by the listeners on subjects discussed on past episodes. Well, for the last month or two, I've been featuring those submissions as a special segment on the Monsters Among Us Beyond episodes over at Patreon. So if you'd like some follow-up on some of these stories, it's a good way to find it. $4 a month, cancel any time. Go to patreon.com and simply search Monsters Among Us. Now our next entry of the evening is that of the ghostly variety. Please welcome Dave from New York to the program. Hey Derek, this is Dave from New York. I am a longtime listener, big fan, and I just wanted to call in and you know give a story of something that happened to me. Preface the story with a little bit of information. The house that I grew up in, my family house, was haunted. Over 100 years old, it was built in the late 1800s, and I've had a whole bunch of different activity, I guess you'd say, that happened to me uh, throughout the years of growing up there. I've since moved out now, but I wanted to share one of the later things that happened right before I moved out of the house. So here we go. So it was a middle of the afternoon. I was hanging out with one of my good friends, Emily. We were up in my childhood room, sitting, hanging out, talking. Both my parents were home. They were downstairs. Uh, My mom in the living room on the couch watching television and my dad in the guest room also on the couch watching television. So my friend and I, Emily, were just sitting there, you know, talking when we heard footsteps. Sounded like someone was coming upstairs. So I really thought nothing of it. I figured there was one of my parents coming to tell me something. Oh, let me throw this little bit of information in there. So the house is very old. All the doors in the house are original and they're warped. My room included. It's very difficult to push the door open. You have to kind of 
pull the knob, lift it, and then with your shoulder, give it a little bit of force to push the door open because the frame is warped. So anyway, we were sitting there. We heard these footsteps come up the door. We thought nothing of it. I figured it was one of my parents. They come up the stairs, stop right in front of my door. I get up to go open the door, figuring it was one of them. And it heard like two handprints push the door with such force that it swung open, hit the wall, and then swung back halfway closed. It was right in front of me, right in front of my friends. We were both just like, what the hell was that? Uh, I went outside. My parents' door, which is right across the room from my door, was closed. The bathroom door was open, but the window in there was closed. And my brother's room, which was right next to mine, the door was also closed. So couldn't be any wind or anything like that. Went downstairs, asked my parents, you know, was it you? Did you know, did you go upstairs? Did you open my door? Did you walk past or something? Both of them had no idea what I was talking about. So it was very, very strange. It was just so strange because you heard, you know, just footsteps. It sounded like a person. And then two hands, clear as day, push the door open, slap on it, push the door right open with enough force to swing it open. So yeah, that was my story. I have a bunch of other stories from growing up in the house. A lot of strange, strange things happened to me, but uh, I'll call back and leave that to a later time. Keep up the great work, and I hope you can use the story. Uh, thanks, and have a great day. Thank you, Dave. Isn't it amazing how these mysterious moments stick with us? Sure, our memories may have altered a few of the details, but I tell you, the brain doesn't miss a single fact when it comes to the creep factor. That part, it never goes away. So thank you for sharing your entry, Dave. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about your former haunted home. Now before we move on, don't forget that we have brand new shirts and totes in the shop. We are still shipping out despite the pandemic, but we're limiting shipping days to twice a week. But trust me when I say, it'll get there. So visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop for more details. Now a quick note, our next entry has a brief mention of animal-on-animal violence. So if this is something that disturbs you, maybe just skip this one. The following is from Eunice in my state of California. Hi Derek, my name is Eunice. I live in Orange County in Southern California. I was calling today because something odd happened this morning and I've been trying to figure out what it was. So this morning I went out to my backyard where we have my old playhouse. It's um eight by six or so little playhouse that my parents have now turned into our laundry room. It was around six in the morning it was still dark outside so I was out there drying out some of my clothing so I was just standing there and it was very quiet I can only hear my thoughts and all of a sudden this there was this loud bang on the roof this place is very small and I was very surprised and I thought it was in my head for a second that I heard this loud bang And I just stood there quietly trying to figure out if I could hear some other noise. And it shook the whole tiny little playhouse. And I waited because actually I was a little scared. I was like, what 
what could that be? And finally, after about 10 seconds or 20 seconds, I decided to exit out and open the door and see if there was something outside on the roof. And so I peeked out and I didn't see anything. So then I walked out further to get a visual on the top of the roof and there was nothing there. And I just thought that's really odd. It started to freak me out even more because I couldn't figure out what could have caused that loud bang. The, uh, the day before, I had seen a cat, but cats aren't that heavy to create that loud of a noise. And I just kept thinking what animal it could be. And the other uh, animal I've seen is these rats that come to our backyard because we have a lot of fruit trees, but also that couldn't have been it. So I'm just kind of dumbfounded as to what created this loud bang. It sounded as if something landed on the roof in particular, something heavy, but yet there was nothing there. So I just kind of like went back inside and I locked, I locked all the doors and that was it for that story. Another story that's related is when my sister was living with us, she was going through a divorce and my dad allowed her to stay in the garage and she was with her family, her then boyfriend, and they heard a loud noise on the roof as well. Said it sounded like somebody was walking on the roof of the garage and the next morning, she didn't tell us this until like the next day that she heard this, but she was like, she said that she was frightened, that she thought it was like some type of paranormal creature, like specifically the chupacabra or something. She's just like, because she has, she believes more in that. So the next morning we find our neighbor's dog had been mauled to death and with its intestines out. And my dad's like, oh, it's a coyote. I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a coyote. So my dad already had figured it out that it was something not paranormal. And then my sister insisted it was something paranormal. It's like, how did the coyote come out here? And it's like, well, we live in a small city, but we live close to like hills and there have been coyotes spotted. So I never got to see the little body. And it was just like, wow, I never knew coyotes could possibly do that. But then again, I haven't com been confronted by too many coyotes. That is still yet to be solved as to what that was that killed that little chihuahua. So that just reminded me of my story that happened today. Like, could I have been a coyote? But I didn't see anything scurry as I waited inside my little playhouse. So it's as if it disappeared quickly. That's my story. Uh, hopefully you can use it. Thank you. I really love your podcast. Have a good day. Thank you, Eunice. If I'm honest, both experiences sound quite explainable. The rooftop thump could have actually been a cat. Now I have a stray tomcat that I've sort of adopted that hangs out outside the studio. He's a massive tom named Jarvis. I bet he weighs 30 pounds if he weighs an ounce. But a cat that size could create quite a thud on a plywood roof. 
and the agility of the animal could explain why Eunice wasn't able to see or hear anything when she poked her head outside. But what about that tragic event with the Chihuahua? To be truthful, that sounds like a textbook coyote kill. Unfortunately, that sort of thing is reported quite often. And before you think, there can't possibly be a coyote in Orange County, California. Let me tell you this. When I lived in Los Angeles, I spent my entire 10 years living in different areas of a section called Mid-City. Basically, it's the area between the beach and downtown. Now, there's nothing but solid city for dozens of miles in most directions. Several miles in the other. And I can tell you, I've seen coyotes on more than one experience. Just walking down the center of my street. Now, these are survival machines. And I'm convinced that they can not only inhabit, but thrive in basically any terrain, any environment. They're really fascinating creatures. So hopefully this explanation helps ease some of your fears, Eunice. Coyotes really don't attack people, so as long as you keep your pets close, you should be okay. Thanks again for sharing. Now our next submission of the evening is a true mystery. The following is Chloe's call from the road. Hi, my name's Chloe, and I'm a truck driver, and I've just had something kind of weird happen, and I feel like go ahead and call before I forget any of the details. I enjoy your podcast, so it'd be nice to contribute, I guess. So I'm just pulling into Pennsylvania, and, you know, middle of the day, it's like 3 o'clock, it's a little bit overcast, but visibility's fine, it's not raining or anything. I pull into a welcome center, and it, you kind of come around a little bit of a curve, like the roadway kind of curves towards the left once you get away from the road a bit, away from the interstate. So trucks are parked on the shoulder on the right-hand side of the roadway leading into the rest area, and I get down towards the end, and I you know, see there's a space pretty much all the way up at the front of the roadway leading into the rest area and I decide well that'll that'll be good enough and I pull into there and you know as I'm pulling in I'm looking forward and I can see the rest area I can see where the cars are parked I can see where the two roadways kind of split apart so that cars stick to the right trucks veer to the left and I don't actually see any truck parking I can see down all the way to the yield sign where the two meet back up and you know I think to myself well that's weird I guess maybe there's truck parking kind of like along the entrance ramp again and there's truck parking on the exit ramp but there's not truck parking at the actual rest area. So I pull in, I stop, I you know jump back, I'm heating up a bowl of chili or something for lunch. I set back down, I see a truck go by, I look up And I see the truck pulling into one of the, like, 10 truck parking spots that are right in front of me. There's other trucks parked there. There is absolutely no way I could have missed this. They're just right there, right in front of me. There there isn't really a split before cars start parking. There's the cars on the right, trucks in the middle, and 
the roadway that would lead back to the interstate for the trucks, where the trucks would pull out and go in front of each other to head to the interstate. Cars go behind the trucks to go back to the interstate. And looking a little bit past the trucks that are parked right there, I can see the same little roadway that I saw before, but those truck parking spots, I did not see them. And I wasn't particularly tired. Hadn't been driving for very long today. They weren't there. I go back, look, heating up some food. I come back, sit down, look forward. They're there. It was, it was strange. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Chloe. All sorts of disappearing and reappearing objects in this episode. Now, I'm wondering if the spots were all empty when Chloe pulled up. So they simply appeared as lines on the road, and Chloe didn't instantly register that they were parking spaces. Then when she looked back, a few trucks had populated the spaces, making their use more obvious. But I'll tell you what, if that's not it, then I'm completely out of suggestions. But thank you again, Chloe, for sharing that call. Do me a favor. Drive safe out there. Now this feels like a great time to remind everyone to submit their own true and terrifying tales. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Our next tale takes us to a Florida cemetery. This is Lenore's Call from the Sunshine State. Hi, my name is Lenore, and I live in Mims, Florida. I'm going to be a little vague intentionally, and I changed the name for privacy. I like to go out driving around and looking for dirt roads and Indian mounds. I had a four-wheel drive at the time. This was the late 90s. And I found an old cemetery, and I just thought the cemetery was, was beautiful. I do have some old Southern superstitions I follow when I visit a cemetery, when I go in and I did this at the cemetery, when I went in, I took a few coins and I dropped them near the front gate and I walked to the back because the oldest graves are usually there. I always bring like some new flowers from the dollar stores and little flags to replace old ones. Usually the oldest graves are in the back. So I started replacing flowers and old flags and I put the the old flags in a box to bring to the VFW so they can dispose of them properly. And I'm walking my way back up. It's a very small cemetery surrounded by a wrought iron fence. There's like a little gravel path that goes through the middle of the cemetery. I walked up towards the front of the cemetery and there were three brand new graves. It was obviously a father, a mother, and a little 11-year-old girl in between them. The graves all had the same date of death, and they were covered in white marble chips. And on top, there were all kinds of flowers and toys and gifts. And I was in front of these graves, and these people, it was obvious they were loved a lot. And I couldn't understand why I didn't feel peace. The road near this, this place is very dangerous and I've actually been run off the road there so 
I mean, you would think it was a car accident, but this felt wrong to me. And I recall feeling like something very bad was watching me. I It was really creepy, but I just ignored it. And I put some flowers on the grave. And another thing I do is I walk out of the graveyard backwards and I tell the spirits that they have to stay. They can't follow me. Now, the family had an unusual last name, so I looked it up on the internet, but this is the 90s and I couldn't find any info on the internet. But I kept going to the graves and dropping off presents. I'd drop off glittery things for the little girl and dolls, you know, from the thrift store. And for the dad, I bought like a little shot glass and just like a a little liquor bottle. I just kind of had a feeling about him that maybe he liked a little drink every once in a while. And um, after a while, I got very attached to these people, especially the little girl, because I'm a mom. And I asked the little girl if she wanted to follow me around the graveyard. And I would kind of feel her following me around the graveyard. And then soon I started asking if she wanted to come home with me. And I stopped walking out of the graveyard backwards. I I just would walk out normally. And uh, of course, strange things started happening at my house, you know, strange noises and things moving, but it was, it wasn't anything malicious or scary, but it was noticeable. And I I did know that it was the little girl (laughs) in my house. But one day I stopped at the cemetery after work. I had, had got a job that was near this place. And as I was walking through the cemetery towards the back, just clouds started gathering and the wind picked up. I mean, this is very typical Florida. Lightning was kind of jumping across the sky and and rain started sputtering down. But I had dropped my coins at the front of, at the gate and I was I was walking towards the back and I was probably about halfway, maybe a little bit more towards the back when I heard Uh, what sounded like just a tiny little snippet of a child's voice, you know, a very high voice. But, I mean, even though there's a lot of woods around this cemetery and it's a little remote, just beyond the woods, there were some houses, and I just figured, oh, the wind's blowing noises in. So I just kept going, and then I heard it again, and it sounded like it was right behind me. So I turned around, and, I mean, the wind was blowing very hard at this point and I saw a single piece of paper and it was actually standing vertically just straight upright in the center of the path and it was trembling just a little bit like the wind behind it and in front of it were pushing equally holding it in that vertical position and I remember I blinked several times because I could not believe what I was seeing. I I thought it must be an optical illusion or something. It was just, I'd never seen that before. And then I started to call out the little girl's name. And before her name was even out of my mouth, the piece of paper just, it blew right down the path and I was wearing a skirt that day and the 
paper just smacked right into my bare leg and wrapped around it. And I, I'm sure, even thinking it was just a little girl, I'm sure I jumped. I mean, it really felt like, I remember just feeling so creeped out, it felt like a ghost was wrapped around my lower leg. And then all of a sudden, everything just stopped. I mean, the rain stopped, the sun came out, uh, the wind stopped completely, and the piece of paper just like fell off of my leg and onto the path, and I picked it up, and it was a piece of notebook paper, and there was a child's drawing, drawings that were on the paper, and there were rainbows and flowers and a, a big sun, and there were two figures holding hands, one with a brown beard and the other with long yellow hair. And underneath was written, Jesus and Rebecca. And then I knew, just like I just knew that this was the little girl telling me that I was holding her back from where she needed to go, that I had become far too close to her and really obsessed with this. And I uh, brought the piece of paper back up to the three graves and I put it on her grave and put some of the marble chips on top of the piece of paper so it would stay and I told them that I was so sorry for whatever happened to them and I hoped they could find peace and the last thing I said was goodbye to Rebecca and then I walked out of the graveyard backwards and told the spirits they could not follow me. And I haven't been to this graveyard since then, but I did do an inter- internet search recently, and the three family members were just horrifically murdered. One man is on death row for the killings. There was evidence of another person found at the scene, but law enforcement, they theorized that the father was outside and struck from behind multiple times. And then the mother and daughter were inside sleeping when the killer attacked them. I I don't know. I just have a feeling that there is still someone out there, and maybe that's why I felt such unrest around these graves. But anyway, that's my, my graveyard story. You all keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Lenore. That is quite a saga. I believe that story had more twists and turns than Tiger King. Now, I didn't make the connection right away that Rebecca was the name of the little girl at the grave. But what I still don't understand is where the child's drawing actually came from. Was that something drawn by the real Rebecca? Or something left on her grave by a friend? Or possibly a family member? Either way, the entire sequence of events is eerie at best. And before we move on, I'm not so sure it's the most wise choice to invite anything to follow you home. I've heard some horror stories over the years that, if they're to be believed, will surely dissuade anyone from that questionable practice. So thank you again, Lenore, for that great entry. And although the result is tragic, I'm happy you were able to offer some closure as to how that family died. Now I have another ghostly entry to share with you guys. The following would be Chips from the state of Indiana. 
Yeah, this is Chip Gilly. I'm calling from Elwood, Indiana at the time that that happened. Uh, my father was renting a farmhouse out in the country, about probably two or three miles away from town. We stayed there often on the weekends. We were supposed to be there every other week, but we, we would go out there all the time, especially when I was driving since my mother and father were divorced. But ever since he had moved into the house, it was becoming more and more apparent that the house was indeed haunted. We could be sitting down and uh, be just listening to stuff, you know, just moving furniture upstairs and go upstairs and, you know, nothing was moved to the sounds of children playing in the other room to one day me and my dad. It was around Halloween time and there was a, a regular sitting area we had there and, you know, just the regular living room. And on the exterior of the house, there was another room that he had made to just where he put all his collectibles and on each side of the doorway, there was no physical door, but just a doorway, he would have, I believe it was Halloween, so it been two streamers on each side. I was sitting across from it in a chair. He was sitting across around the other side of the room and on the couch. We were just sitting there, and just think about this. There's no windows open, no way that breeze could come into the house. The air didn't kick on. It was, again, Halloween time, so there's no need for it. But one of the streamers, only from about four foot up, just came rushing at me like a little child had run through it. Of course, this just, you know, made my hair stand up. I just looked over at my dad, and he just kind of looked at me, eyes just wide open, just, and we were just looking at each other like we had just seen the same thing and making sure we were both seeing the same thing. And it was then we realized that we had come in contact with whatever being was there with us or spirit and you know from that moment on we we knew for a fact what we were hearing upstairs wasn't just our imagination it wasn't you know animals in the attic it wasn't anything of that, that nature there was something there in that house and that was just a fraction of what had occurred there you know, from that moment on it was hard to sleep at night it was hard to be anywhere in that house alone just things would happen. No physical harm was done. It was just almost like you just knew someone or something was there with you at all times, whether it was upstairs or downstairs or something there, something watching you, something constantly just a presence with you. Finally, my dad had moved away from there. That was my last real encounter with a spirit, but it definitely marked on me just knowing that. I don't know what's out there. I don't know what, you know, could be causing this kind of phenomenon, but there is something going on. I like your show. We, I just started listening to it. I get to do what I'm at work. I appreciate you letting us come on and tell our stories. Thanks, Chip. You know, it seems like there's just something about old farmhouses that allow them to retain their unique energy. I hear so many stories with these quaint dwellings as the backdrop. And I'll tell you, it's great to add another to that list. So thank you again, Chip, for sending that one in. And that brings us to this week's final entry. The following was submitted by Brent in the state of North Carolina. Hey, this is Brett from North Carolina. Listening to your podcast lately made me think of this story that happened to me. It's back in 
about 2000, I think 2014 or 2015, had a little West Highland Terrier. His name was Boone, after named after the town here in North Carolina. He was old. He was probably 12 or 13 at the time. You know, smaller dogs can usually live a little bit longer than the bigger ones can. And I came home from work one day and saw that he wasn't home. I probably came home about 9 o'clock. And he was a mix of an inside and outside dog, and when he was outside, he'd just hang around the house. And we didn't, he wasn't on a leash or anything. I lived on some farmland, so he'd roam around, but he would always come home to come sleep inside. He wasn't home. And so I go inside and I go, hey, Dad, where's, you know, where's Boone at? And he goes, oh, no, I haven't seen him today. So I start getting worried because he's a small dog and we live on this sort of farmland area surrounded by woods and I was worried that you know ran off in the woods got attacked by a coyote or something so I wanted to go looking for him but at the time it was you know nine o'clock is cloudy and uh drizzling a little bit so completely dark basically so what I ended up doing is grabbing our little well it wasn't little it was a old 12 gauge shotgun single shell loaded so you'd crack it open shell would pop out you'd load another one in I'd grab that and I'd grab the little sort of like a mag light and I just sort of zip tied it to the barrel of the gun and turned it on I walked off into the woods looking for him and the woods are pretty thick but there's a trail that runs through it and so outside of the trail and the beam of my flashlight I couldn't really see anything the flashlight wasn't that great either it's old probably half dead and I've been calling for him and yelling his name probably about 25 minutes or so. I was probably about a mile and a half, two miles into the woods at this point, and I hadn't found him. And so I was like, well, you know, maybe he's already gone back to the house, so I'm just out here for nothing. So I start walking back up the trail, and there's hear just a noise behind me, and I turn around, and I hear some twigs cracking, and obviously something's moving around with brush. So I call out his name again, and when I do, about probably 20-ish so feet in front of me, 25, 30. Uh, between two trees, uh, there's this bush, and behind the bush, I see these two eyes turn and look at me, and just staring at me. They're about three feet off the ground, and if you know what a West Highland Terrier looks like, you know that his eyes aren't going to be three feet off the ground. They're going to be more like a foot. So, you know, I yelled his name again, and it's just sat there staring at me. Never blinked the whole time I was sitting there staring at me. Couldn't, couldn't see what it was, just saw its eyes. Me and that thing stared each other down for good 10, 15 seconds or so after I yelled at it again. And at this point, I'm like, oh, this is something else. This is another dog or a coyote or something. And so I start backing away a little bit and have the shotgun shouldered at this point. I'm aiming down at it. That's how I'm looking at it. I have the shotgun up with the flashlight aimed at it. And I'm just backing up slowly. And I stepped on a fallen branch or twig or something like that. It made a crack. And I guess it realized I was moving at this point, and it made this noise that I can't really describe well because I've never heard it before, and I haven't heard it since. And it was just growl or like gurgling. No, I can't. It it's hard. It's really hard to describe like the noise it was making when I first started being audible. Like honestly, can't describe it. And I'm sending like it's sending chills up my spine again thinking about it. And this just overwhelming sense of fear just took hold of me. And I was like, this is not something that I need to be near right now. And so I'm not breaking line of sight with it. 
I'm making sure I know where it's at, and I'm backing up the trail, and it's just letting out this constant just noise. And as I'm backing up, it starts moving around. It's the uh, eye shine goes away, and I can hear it go off into the brush a little bit, and I can track it using my ears, and it's moving up, up to my left a little bit and around, coming slightly closer to me, like it's making a circle and it's closing in a little bit on me. And so... I aimed a shotgun off to the right of it and just shot into the brush to try and scare it. And when I did, the noise it made was, it sounded like someone had stabbed a cat and a pig squealing at the same time with a bear. This insane sound that I've never heard and have never heard since. And I hear it tearing off through the brush. It's going away from me. And so I say, screw the trail. I know these woods good enough. I'm just going to run through the brush and just try and make it out as quick as I can. So I take off. While I'm running, I'm trying to reload the shotgun. I'm stumbling and stuff. I have the shells in my shirt pocket. I was wearing a flannel shirt, and I had them in my pocket. And I was digging in there trying to get one out. And I drop one, and I'm trying to get the shotgun loaded and pulled back and hammer cocked and all that stuff. I'm trying to run through all this thick brush and just making a big old racket I guess and I stopped to catch my breath I probably only ran for maybe three minutes I guess I mean I wasn't in the best shape at the time I'm still not but I wasn't then either and I was sitting there catching my breath and trying to collect myself and I heard something moving around me again and so I'm frantically moving that shotgun around just trying to see if I can get a bearing on something and going the way I was running like in that direction I was going I hear stuff moving around i look up there and i see those eyes again the same eyes are like yellow yellowish colored eyes staring down at me from this embankment that i'm running up and this is when i get a sort of like look at it i still didn't get a good look at it at all and it's sort of hunched down to the ground and it's just staring at me i'm getting freaking cold just thinking about this again and it's not making a sound at this point like, the second my flashlight went on it, it stopped moving. Like, it knows I'm looking at it now. And just haunched down to the ground, just staring at me. And it's got this real sleek body. And it is just jet black. Like, I'm pretty sure that's the only reason I couldn't get a good look at it. Because it was as black as the night. And I was like, I'm going to shoot this thing. I was like, this thing is trying to cut me off. It's trying to get to me. It's doing all this stuff. So, I just aimed in its general direction and with the shotgun you know that's all you got to do and i fired a shot and that thing screamed and hollered and just just the noises it was making it was terrifying i mean it was otherworldly the noises it was making and i took off back down the embankment doing the same thing i was doing before trying to get the shotgun loaded trying to keep from falling over and and when I'm coming down this embankment, I finally come back up onto the trail. And now I don't have to worry about tripping and stuff. And it's what I should have done before is just run the trail. And so I start booking it up the trail. And the whole time I'm doing that, I can hear that thing thrashing around through the brush, screaming. You could tell it was in pain. I know I hit it. If you've ever been hunting, when you shoot something, you hear a, like a thump noise if you hit it. And I heard that after I shot. So I know I hit it. And... From the way it was screaming, I really know I hit it. And 
is just screaming um just the whole time and i'm in the back of my mind just running up that trail i'm like it's right behind me it's right behind me just running thinking like if i turn back i'm going to see it pounce on me whatever it was i'm going up the trail and i stop in this little clearing next to a creek that's real close to my house i'm trying to catch my breath and it's it's off in the distance now but it was still screaming just like like a woman just getting stabbed or something or getting attacked and mixed with different animal noises i was just like i screwed this i was like i'm getting out of here and so i finished my journey up out of the woods and i get back to my house and you can still hear it every once in a while just screaming so when I get inside, I tell him, I'm like, can you come outside and listen to this, whatever I just shot? I don't know what this is. And he goes, you shot something? And I was like, yeah. He's like, it was, he was like, it wasn't one of the neighbor's dogs, was it? I said, I hope to God it's not a neighbor's dog. Cause it's a hellhound if it is. And he came outside with me, and we both listened. And he heard it, too. And he says, I have no idea what it, that is. But uh, he was like, he said, I hope Boone's okay if that thing's out there. And so I went back inside, and after it died down a little bit, and... I was just shook, like I was sweating, and I was coming down off that adrenaline rush, just shaking. I still get chills thinking about it, and when I tell people this story, they're like, you know, sounds like a big cat, but if you live in North Carolina, around the area I live in, you know, there's no big cats around here, and so they're like, well, you know, there's, you know, been black panther sightings in eastern United States in these parts, and like that's the only thing I could think it could be unless it was some sort of just demon cat that was following me around that night but uh there's no black panthers or there's not supposed to be any black panthers around here but if there was I was pretty sure I shot one but that's it and never saw my dog again after that night either so uh, me and my dad think that whatever that thing was out there that night it, it got my dog but uh, on a happier side, uh, I've got a new dog now, and she's gr- she's greater than anything I could ever have, and I make sure she comes in at night. Thanks for letting me track the story on, and can't wait to hear the next podcast. Thank you, man. Thank you, Brent. Over the past few weeks, I've heard a few people question why I feature alien big cat calls on the show, falsely assuming they're not cryptids. Well, I feature them because A. I'm an experiencer. B. Any out-of-place animal is by definition encrypted. And C. If you really think about it, the encounters are spooky as hell. And let me tell you, Brent's experience is an action-filled example. These creatures have been sighted and reported all over the eastern U.S. But perhaps the most iconic of flaps just happened to take place in Brent State of North Carolina. Of course, I speak of the Vampire Beast of Bladenboro. Years ago, in 1954, a series of unexplained and gruesome killings rocked the small North Carolina town of Bladenboro, only 125 miles from Charlotte. The way the beast was said to have dispatched its prey was chilling. He was where he could actually crush skulls and suck blood out of animals. Barry Lewis is the grandson of a Bladenboro resident who hunted the beast in 1954. He's heard family stories about the beast and the efforts to slay it. There was hundreds of hunters that came into town that you know just went through and trying to find this, this, this mass beast. The whole swamp was lit up with lights, big lights, big floodlights, and dogs. Hunters were there with their dogs, and you could hear the dogs howling. 
For 10 days, fear seized the town of Bladenborough. I think this, this animal started off as looking for goats and dogs, but he ended up wanting humans. As quickly as it had begun, the phenomenon stopped, leaving only a trail of dead dogs and a lone, mysterious track. To my recollection, I don't think he was ever killed. Uh, in fact, this sort of worries me that he might come back. That bite comes courtesy of history's Monster Quest, and I highly suggest watching the Vampire Beast episode on Prime today. Now, these sightings in 1954 put people into a panic, understandably. Animals were killed, events canceled, and parents were terrified. And it was known as the Vampire Beast because all the dogs that were killed were killed identical. They had their nose eaten out and the blood drained. And they were afraid that he might be after children and all, and so the mothers, my mother, would not let us get out in the yard and play. We were had a curfew. We couldn't go out, uh, out of the house because everybody thought a monster, a beast would get us. Nighttime, everybody was in nose. Everybody. Uh, I was in school at that time, and I was a cheerleader on the basketball team, and some of the people would not um, let their kids come from other towns to play basketball while that was going on. I don't know how many animals were killed already, but uh, uh, this was on Friday night. And that night, uh, we could hear the beast under our house hitting the rafters. And we had a, a pen that we kept a goat. And then about 3 o'clock, we heard a loud noise across right next door. The houses was real close together. We got up Saturday morning. And it was Mr. Eddie Hester's goat. My dad's goat. Had his skull had been crushed, the nose uh, eaten out, and the blood drained, just like the dogs that were killed other places. He didn't have no nose. All this was bit off. And all the blood and stuff was drained out of him. From that, it went to hysteria. People walking around with guns. And so for about two weeks, that was uh, terror, and everybody was scared to death. I was just scared. That was the worst thing. I can still remember that fear. It was just like you were in a tight box, and it was just pressing. And that clip comes to us from the Center for Documentary Studies and features first-hand interviews with those that actually lived through those sightings. So clearly something sent the town into an uproar. And something killed dozens of dogs and goats. But not only in 1954, but many times leading up to the current day. In fact, on Friday, February 15th of 2019, tragedy struck the state again. We begin tonight in Beaufort County, where an animal attack takes a deadly turn. The attack happened Friday. 77-year-old teacher Brenda Hamilton died this morning. Investigators want to find out exactly what happened. WNCT's Dominique Moody joins us live from the Nine on Your Side newsroom. And Dominique, the sheriff's office is not ruling out wolves or coyotes. That's correct. In fact, the deputies tell me that canine DNA was found on Mrs. Hamilton's clothing, and they are still working to see if this was a wild or domesticated animal. Now, this stems from a animal attack that happened on Friday morning. Neighbors tell me that Mrs. Hamilton was known for taking her early morning walks. In fact, and on Friday morning, she was attacked. Hamilton is a longtime school teacher. In fact, she was still working at the Pungo Christian Academy. Tonight, nearby neighbors who did not want to show their face are speaking out about who Miss Hamilton was. 
She was just a steady, forward-moving, positive spirit who's going to be so sorely missed, a person who just holds a community together. She was essential in the church, in the community uh, activities like soccer. She was. We received this statement from Pungo Christian Academy, which reads in part, the staff and students of Pungo Christian Academy are devastated by the loss of Mrs. Brenda Hamilton. She was in her first, 51st year of teaching and, and arguably the most dedicated employee in school's history. Now, coming up tonight at 6, you'll hear more from nearby neighbors and the latest in this investigation. Dominique Moody, 9, on your side. That clip is property of WNCT, CBS News 9 out of Greenville. So it's impossible to say if all of these events are attributed to the same creature, the same species of creature, or if this is all just a big coincidence. But I'll tell you this much. I'll be a little more alert next time I'm visiting North Carolina. You just don't know what's lurking out there in the swamps. Thanks again, Brent, for taking the time to share that story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter-Hayes. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that bone-chilling music you hear in the background, well, it's co.ag. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. Well, tonight's secret submission comes to us from a man named Matt in the state of Virginia. Hello, Derek. This is Matt calling from Virginia. I wanted to share a story that had happened to me actually when I was living in Maryland. And I think it's underrated how easy and quickly you can get out into the wilderness in the mid-Atlantic region. Late July of 2014, I was going through some personal issues and I decided to do some backpacking to help me get through it. So my goal as I headed out was twofold. I wanted to do my first solo backpacking trip and then to complete at least a portion of that at night. These are two things that I'd wanted to do for some time and never had a backpacking partner keen on the night hiking portion of it. 
I've chosen a section of the George Washington National Forest on the border of West Virginia and Virginia for this trip, and I had a trail running up a ridge to a trail shelter. I had originally mapped this out as a one-night loop of about 16 miles, and I headed out on the morning of July 30th using the shelter as my camp for the night. The shelter was about seven or eight miles into the hike, and as I hiked up the ridge, two things became clear. The first was that my circuit would become an in-and-out as the trail I had planned to use on the back side of the loop was no longer marked or maintained, and I would have to hike out along a too-busy mountain road. The second was that the trail leading up to the shelter was rarely used. This was indicated by overgrowth, lack of maintenance, and zero human trace. In fact, I saw not a single person from the moment I entered the forest until I left the next morning. I reached the shelter that afternoon around 2.30. There was a fire pit, a barrel pole, uh, and the shelter itself. A logbook in the shelter confirmed my assumption of usage as the last entry was more than a year earlier. I also discovered that the shelter was riddled with ticks, so I went about setting up my small tent rather than sleep in the shelter. The site was slightly off the trail at the top of a ridge at about 2,400 feet, and the trail runs north to south with the shelter facing south. Almost immediately to the east, the ridge dropped off into a thick-looking valley. There seemed to be a little more leveling out on the west side, but that too dropped off into another valley. This was the perfect spot for what I was looking for and to just chill and spend the evening. Knowing that I would be heading back out the way I came in, I planned on waking at some point around 3 a.m. to start my hike out and cross the night hike off my list. So as dark began to fall, I fired up the fire pit, cooked my dinner, and just enjoyed hanging out in the forest. Shortly after full dark, I retired to my tent for a few hours. And I call this an experience, not an encounter, because I didn't really see anything, but I did wake up in the middle of the night, not sure exactly what time it was, as my phone had died at some point in the evening. So I climbed out of the tent to use the bathroom and check the skies to gauge whether I should pack up and head out. And as with the afternoon, it was a beautiful, clear night. I stood facing south just to the side of my tent, trying to make up my mind whether to pack up and head back down the ridge. No sooner had I decided that that's what I was going to do when I heard it from my left coming out of the valley just to the east. What I heard was a primal scream of the sort of power and volume that I had never experienced before in the wilderness. I've done a lot of backpacking and hiking and camping, and I've experienced bears, coyotes, fox, deer, elk vocalizations during this. This was not that. While it was difficult to determine distance from me, I could tell it came up to me from the valley to the east. I resolved immediately that I wouldn't be venturing out into the night as previously planned. I climbed back into the tent, waited for sunrise, and I heard nothing else the rest of the night. At the first sign of daybreak, I quickly made my way back down the ridge. While I had never experienced such a sound in the forest before, I didn't know that I had heard things similar to it. I've been intrigued by the Sasquatch phenomena for some time, and both recordings before and since match some of what I heard. I searched not just for sounds, but also any other sighting reports in the area, and I found nothing. But while I was searching, I did discover that just a few miles from my campsite in the valley to my east is a rather large deer management and protection area. This area is restricted to muzzle-loading, iron sight hunting, and not easily accessible to humans. So needless to say, since this experience, I will not take another solo backpack trip or go unarmed. And truth be told, if I had read the 411 books prior to this, I probably wouldn't have been there to begin with. So that's my story. Again, it's on the border of Virginia and West Virginia. Thank you, Derek, for what you do. You allow people to share their experiences in a safe place and serve as a resource for those spending time in the wilds of America. There are things out there that we can only begin to grasp, and I think anyone who spends time in the wilderness needs to be aware of them. 
So keep up the good work, and thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you, Matt. Well, this certainly isn't the first time, and I can promise you it's not the last time, that we hear a story such as this. Now, the ironic thing is, we hear this kind of thing submitted all throughout the country, so it's not just in one particular region. So that leads me to think one of two things. Maybe this can be attributed to everyday, normal animals such as foxes or coyotes. Or there just might be something roaming the countrysides of the U.S. Howling at the moon. Thanks again, Matt, for that submission. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night.